Hello and welcome to They Just Get It. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited, as I've often accused of being, to be here with my guest today, Mr. Rob Townsend. How are you, Rob? I'm very well, thank you. Appreciate taking the time. We uh, we tried to get aligned over the holidays. We had to push the reset button because life is uh, life is crazy busy. And I really appreciate. It. Thanks for taking the time to come on and uh, looking forward to having a good having a good old fashioned chat. Absolutely, yeah, me as well. So, Rob, let, let, let's get right into it. Let's let the audience kind of peer in. You, we've been you and I have been chit chatting off, offline. You are the CEO and uh, founder of Camber. Is sorry, is founder the right? I know you're CEO, but are you also the founder? Or are you the, are you the guy kind of one of the guys behind it? Yep. Yeah, that's correct. Awesome. And well, let's hey, let's let's give us. We're in an elevator. We got we got thirty seconds between the next floor. Tell us what Camber's all about. <laughs> uh, we're so bad at these uh, quick snippets, especially in our industry. But really, we're trying to maximize happiness per hour of time people spend thinking about money. Uh, and the financial industry in Canada is riddled with problems and we are trying to attack some of the big ones uh, and make a real difference in people's lives. And a lot of that is being driven with what's possible with technology um, as well as what's possible with taking a data-driven approach, which is kind of unique to the investment world, especially the personal finance world. And the end result is, you know, we don't think that people want to worry about their money. They want to know that the returns that they're getting are fair and that the fees that they pay are reasonable and that they're avoiding unnecessary mistakes and unnecessary taxes. And so really we're just trying to take a client centric view to the industry and build out something that we would want to be clients of. Which I really the one thing that sort of just jumped out with me what you, what you said that's a good elevator speech because I would get off with you on the floor and say okay Rob tell me more so that's that's a sign of a good elevator speech when the person falls you out of the elevator you said a data driven approach which is which is fundamentally you know not typical or uncommon for um, especially personal finance as, as, it, that made me pause and go really they're not using data to make decisions on my finances. <laughs> so, I don't know. That was a moment that gave me pause when you said that. I love those little nuggets of like, well, when we pull back the curtain, it might not be what you think is going on. So is, you know, from yourself, I'm just, I'm creeping on your LinkedIn, like any good, like any good interviewer. This is an industry that you've been in for many, many, many years since, uh, you know, late, late 2000, 2008. So for yourself, was that a problem or is that something that you really kind of rallied against as you found your way into the, into the sector? Uh, I mean, I really fumbled around, I would say, in the beginning, just trying to figure it all out. You know, I had a great passion for markets. I had a great passion for investing. But I, you know, it takes time to learn these skills. It takes time to put in the reps and to, you know, to learn what is what is signal and what is noise. And I think so much of the industry is focused on the noise not a lot of people are focused on the signals, even though the signals are you know, very well documented. So for me, it took some big realizations in my career of mistakes that I was just observing other people make over and over again uh, and thinking, geez, there's got to be more to this and I need to dig into that. And, and so that really resulted in doing a master's thesis where took a very data-driven approach to what's going on with Canadian retirement and why is it so inefficient. And that really kind of led me on the journey of uh, eventually starting Camber. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, let's. Uh, that's so so many so many roads we can take at the start of a show. That's what I, that's why I love the long form content too, because I know we've got some we've got some time to explore. We're not we're not in a thirty second elevator ride. We've got a real variety of audience uh, listeners from young young medium to old, whatever that means. But let's uh, maybe unpack a little bit that you know you dedicated your thesis to the problem with Canadian retirement. Maybe let's unpack that a second because I think that question of will I have for enough for a retirement. X, you know, dot, dot, dot. I think that's a question that at a certain point in your life is going to start to come up for almost everybody or it should, it should. So maybe you chose to do a thesis on that. That's a powerful, you, you went all in on that problem. Yeah, absolutely. I, so yeah, master's of public policy at the university of Calgary. I did it while I was working at night uh, and just wanted to figure out what was going on with this kind of inefficient behavior that I was observing anecdotally, but didn't have any kind of numbers to put to it. And the thesis really kind of help the research uh, helped me understand that you know Canadians really went from this pension-based system where you had a job, you worked at it for a long period of time, and your money was managed for you. And two important parts uh, come out of a pension. Well, three important parts, really. It's professionally managed money. It's managed at a low fee. And most importantly, it controls your savings rate, meaning that they just took a piece of your paycheck and put it into the pension automatically. And then they just gave you the net difference. They didn't give you an option to self-save. Uh, they they imposed it upon you. And then they matched it, of course, and, and did what they do at the back end of a pension scheme. But um, that system went away. Most people don't have pensions now. So now your employer gives you you know, your salary, and then you're tasked with having to invest that money appropriately, and also, you know, put the discipline in place to create a savings rate. And that's where things really fell apart for a bunch of reasons. But, you know, number one, you know, people are busy, they can't be expected to construct, you know, institutional grade quality portfolios when they're, you know, living their lives, raising kids, doing their job, interests, whatever. Um, the fees in Canada are, just astronomically high, which is going to hurt you no matter what, because performance and fees are perfectly correlated. Uh, and third, you know, you didn't have this savings rate imposed on you, so it's left to people's devices. And what do we find? Well, people pay themselves last, basically, in their savings. And so we don't see kind of savings rates that are very sustainable to good, good retirement. So when you, when you just, I love, I, I love the approach that you took of like, well, how did we get here? Like, you know, we are here and oh, we have this problem and savings are, you know, people are one paycheck away and all those kind of things. But that the how, because once you understand the how, maybe then you can start to unpack the, what can we do to make a difference? So was this through the thirties, forties, fifties? Like what was it? We were, you know, you and I, if you happen, you and I happen to be in the same room, we had a whiteboard. What would be the timeline? Like when did this, when did it kind of change? But the investor all of a sudden lost what was being done for them. And then all of a sudden nothing was there to fill the space or we'll talk about what did show up to fill the space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been kind of a gradual change. There were different problems where, you know, I mean, the workforce has changed. So people just don't have these like 40 year careers and then retire now. No, that, that still does exist. I mean, my father's a university professor uh, and still now is retired and collects his pension every day. So there is a portion of the population, but it's just gradually gotten less and less and less. And as we see, you know, the developments of the modern world, I would, I would say that pension-based scheme is going to be, you know, reduced further, um, really pushing the reliance of retirement management onto the individual. So it's being managed at the individual level instead of at the institutional level, which again is where we kind of observe these, these larger problems. When you, if you were going to take a subset, we'll just, we'll take 10 or a hundred, whatever is an easy, easy divisible. 
you know, how many people like I'm going to, I'm going to use the word un- unhealthy relationship with money. I've, I've, I know a lot of people that are like, I don't understand it. So therefore I don't want to understand it or I'm intimidated by it or I, or, or it, it triggers all kinds of things for me. Money's a weird, you know, on, on a simple terms, it's a fairly, it's a fairly straightforward concept, but when you get into beliefs and the side, the psychology of it and that need to save and pay yourself first and those types of things. So out of that maybe group of 10 people, what portion of your clients are there specifically? Cause they're like, I don't want to deal with it. Like I've self, I've I've self-assessed. I don't want to, or nor am I good at this, and I'm okay with that. Because I, I have friends that are scared of it. I have friends that think they're good at it and not. I have other friends that are actually good at it and really love it. It's funny how those two things go together. So, yeah, just curious if you took a subset of the Canadian population, your clients, ten or hundred, what how would the percentages kind of fall out from you, or how do you break those groups out? Yeah, I, you know, I do think there's kind of five percent of the population that is able to kind of do this appropriately by themselves, which is definitely the cheapest option. You know, if you can do do the do-it-yourself version, that that's where you should lean towards. But most people don't have the ability to kind of stick to those best practices that they need to. And the problem with personal finance is the the problems, the the good things you do or the bad things that you do, they compound. Um, so. You're not really that person that's able to kind of stick to the recipe, stick to the discipline. Um, you know, you're just compounding those bad behaviors month after month, year after year, uh, you know. Yeah. If you run anything out far enough, there's there's a joke that we say in our business and, and part of the value of what we provide to our clients is you can't see the label when you're inside the bottle. And we are firmly in all of our own bottles. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, Morgan Housel says, you know, your personal experience makes up 0.0001% of how the world has worked, but maybe 80% of how you think the world works. Uh, And I just think that is so, so true and so, so dangerous in the world of investing because we start to draw conclusions on these small sample sizes. Mm, Yes. Cognitive bias is a real disease, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So for yourself, you know, 2008 Nesbitt Burns, work your way through, you know, Richard uh, Richardson GMP up into your own company. So obviously you had a lot of experience and I'm, I'm not being critical or, or positive about anybody, the more the traditional environment. So I love any very entrepreneur. There was clearly a point where there was like an, I can do it better. So when you, when, you know, as you were doing that, was this just part of your own journey? Cause, or, or had this always been in your back of mind that there's a better way? I just got to get to figuring out what that's going to be. Like, what was that journey like for you of the, the ups and downs of the back of the napkin one day I'm going to do do the thing. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I just felt that the institutions were still going in, you know, a a very traditional direction. And that that's from a business perspective is, you know, probably very appropriate for them because that business is working very, very well. But there was clearly an opening in the market to be different and to put some time and energy into the areas of personal finance that we think a lot more value can be um, attributed to. So that was our whole kind of really the birth behind Camber was this idea. Number one, going to the University of Calgary and looking at kind of this data-driven lens to investing. But then two, the power of data and just realizing every personal finance uh, or every individual's personal finances are very personal. I mean, they're completely custom and they need data-driven advice. And the technology has got to the point where you can bring this kind of institutional level um, quality from a business or, um, uh, you know, data decision-making and mm-hmm. you can bring that to the individual. So once we saw that the software and the tools were available for us to build it out, uh, you know, we built it kind of in the background for a few years. And then as soon as we were ready to launch, we just had so much confidence that it would, you know, change, change the market, change the world that we, uh, you know, jumped off out, out on our own. 
So not to not to oversimplify, but you guys clearly would position yourself as a fintech. Absolutely. Okay. I, 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 when I look at it, it's interesting because it has a feel that makes it very approachable. Again, I always like to be the, I'm, I'm looking in for the first time. Like, I'm like, okay, I'm in a place. I'm in, this is an advisory. They're going to help me. But I'm like, oh, I've got the technology. It's an interesting blend, I think, of the way you guys created your brand, which kudos because it makes it feel, it's not like you're like, hey, this is a robo advisor and it's just going to do it for you, set it and forget it. That's not the feeling I get when I go to your platform. W- would you say that from a technology perspective and you talk about, you know, using data, data driven decision making, which is predictions, ultimately? But do you guys still use, is there still that balance of the prediction versus the judgment, that human human slash machine kind of team approach to managing that data and, and making the data to make the decisions? Yeah, a- absolutely. Again, I mean, the, the psychology of money is such an important part. So we think that human touch is always going to be important. But most of, you know, humans interact, human interaction in the advisory part is, is spent on things that can, computers can do way better. So it's like a mismatch of, of resources. So what we wanted to do was just kind of correct for that, given this, you know, modern world that we live in and put the computers on the problems that they can solve best and put the humans on the problems that they can solve best. And it's this kind of like perfect marriage that the wealth management industry really hasn't embraced yet. But, you know, we're starting to see more of it and we're hopefully a part of that, you know, wave of change. And has that been just the, this is the way we've always done it. It's worked. The shareholders are good with it. Like we just going to keep like the big institutions, like being reluctant to change, which then usually leads to some like mass disruption sooner or later. And FinTech, I think is, you know, you put, you, you search that term and it's, you know, it's, it's pr- prolific across our society right now of all the disruption that's coming at certainly the Canadian financial sector. So that's what it looks like as, you know, quote unquote outsider looking in at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these, I think the average investment advisor in Canada, I, I don't have any data on this, but is quite old from what I've observed from the firms that I have. And, and those individuals have a, a good system um, and people don't leave their advisor very often. So inertia is you know, working in their favor and they just, uh, you know, they have really no reason to need to change or adapt or, or, you know, compete. And we, you know, I kind of got to a point where, you know, it was a very comfortable life for me to run this business, but I thought, geez, you know, I don't want to be like any of these individuals that I'm looking around in. Uh, you know, I'm 32 years old. I can't throw it into autopilot. You know, I want to create real change. I, there's so many problems. Technology can solve so many of them. And most of my counterparties can't even turn on their computers. So like, they're not going to do it. So it, it fell to me to kind of say, well, why don't I try and attack it? I appreciate that. I love that. The, the, the fire of the entrepreneur. Why, why can't I? Why, why shouldn't I? I'm going to. Well, for, you know, was that, what was that moment like when, when you, do you remember the day when you're like, the, my business partner always jokes, there's being an entrepreneur and there's being entrepreneurial. You were entrepreneurial while being employed. What was that day? Was there a day when you threw the switch? Like it was it, and I'm, I'm positioning this Hollywood kind of turning point, which it might not be what it is. But was there, was there that moment that like, yeah, no, I'm going for it. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm turning off the paycheck and I'm going down the entrepreneur path. Because that's a real thing for people. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had always wanted to be in the business. I'd Once you get in the business, the attrition rate is very, very high. So a lot of people don't leave and so they don't feel very secure. So it was always my goal to get in and, and be secure. And that was the be all end all. But I got there quite quickly and then realized that that doesn't really satisfy, you know, life a lifetime of happiness. And a lot of Tim Ferriss's work 
which I kind of follow, I, I thought was interesting just on, you know, this fear mongering and like, what is the worst case scenario? And, you know, if it all didn't work, you know, I, I wasn't going to starve. I still had a place to live. Uh, you know, I had great parents that I could move in their bed. Like, what is the real downside scenario? I had two degrees. I reasonably intelligent individual. You know, I could get a job. I mean, I've never been afraid of working. So if if it didn't work, what's the downside? Um, but if it does, I really, I, what's yeah. the downside? I really appreciate you kind of actually I'm just listening to uh, Tim Ferriss on NPR right now interviewed by Guy Raz about just his own journey and the supplement company and kind of I'm like three quarters of the way through it so it's funny you just you, you, you reference it but you know the story the the stories we tell to ourselves in our mind and the over hallucinations of the you know the under sometimes the underselling of the good and really the overselling of what could go wrong but if you actually sit there and write it down the list is often shorter than you think that's I, I really like that you that you reference that we have an incredible and I think it ties into when you get into money, man, we tell ourselves some crazy stories. Absolutely. Did you, so was there a mentor or was there some, you know, I was curious, like, did you come from an environment of entrepreneurs? Like, you know, so many people are going to listen and go, oh yeah, you made it, you make it sound so easy, Robbie. Like you're so, that's part of why I do just get it. Cause it's so easy to look at people and go, oh, you're so lucky you built this FinTech company. You're like, lucky, what are you talking about? I worked my ass off. But you know, clearly you had a really strong background, a good infrastructure. You had supportive people behind you, but was there anyone that like kind of was there for you or that was maybe multiple people or was there anybody that kind of kicked you in the butt and said, all right, okay, uh, Rob, it's time. You're, 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 you gotta get out there. Yeah, I mean, I would say overall, just, you know, my, my parents, I mean, my, my parents weren't entrepreneurial at all. My dad was a lifelong veterinarian and university professor and, and scientist. My mom was a grade one teacher. So I didn't come from it, but they, they just always really, I guess, believed in, in me and, and my ideas and they weren't really, uh, I guess, impressed easily with, with the work that I was doing in traditional asset management. Um, and so, I mean, to really kind of earn their, their true, uh, admiration, I guess, was, was part of it to say, you know, you know, I'm at this job, which most people would think is, you know, kind of a great job to have and they'd want their son. And my parents weren't like that impressed with it. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay. Like you That's got an interesting paradigm of, of like, Rob, you're, you're successful. You did, you did the thing. You've got the job. You've got your name on the door on the plaque. Like that, that's almost, and I don't want to minimize it, but it's sometimes that's almost the old version of what success looked like. Like, well, you do the thing and you go to the place and you stay there till you die. And like you said, that's maybe not how you defined happiness. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting to see that perspective of just people not, you know, my parents just, just great people, just not impressed by that. They're just like, well, what are you building like how are you solving these problems that you're uncovering like but you got all these ideas how come you're i don't know i went to the the site and it doesn't look like you're doing any of that interesting like, <laughs> i make, appreciate make christmas pump. dinner yeah yeah i have Chris, christmas dinner left you feeling like okay all right i gotta do better then try harder that's all but those are the influences in our life and where we you know i appreciate that it was your parents because sometimes it is it's not always that's that's that, that's awesome so you you how was it like, did you guys bootstrap this thing? Like, again, let's talk about the tech. Cause also, you know, in my, one of my other lives, I uh, do a show called collisions YYC where we talk about economic transformation in Calgary and we talk a lot with tech startups. So I'm also always curious of like, what was that journey as a tech startup in Calgary guy with an idea? I'm assuming you're, you're not the developer. You're not the guy that did the backend work. You obviously had some partners or brought some people together for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And but most of it really is a is a no code solution, which I think is so interesting in this time. I'm a big fan of the low code, no code world that's coming on right now really fast. I love it. You know, these these softwares can get you 80% of the way there and you need time to test it and refine and see what's going on before you actually build it. You know, our biggest mistake was trying to build something before the ideas had totally been uh, you know, formulated and real client experience has been observed and documented. Uh, we blew a bunch of money with a building software that is is nothing where you can you know get much closer to what that product should be through these no code solutions. And did you have a city of obviously you're you worked in the world, so you had your own kind of checklist of this is what I think would be better. So when it got time to kind of beta test and get it out there, did you bring together a group of people? Like how you know, it sounds like you got really close to the customer through that process. Yeah, exactly. That that's the biggest thing and something we, we want to escalate into twenty twenty one. It's really our, our biggest objective is, you know, we get excited about solving this problem and how to solve this problem. And I think we've gone a, a long way, but but still, it's the client who ultimately decides whether that adoption is really working or not. And um, it's it's conveying the message to them. So, so much of personal finance is, is the attention is shone in this, this terrible, unproductive area. And all of the, the value that really can be created gets no airtime in the media and with financial advisors. And so we wanted to shine this light into this this part of the industry, the unsexy part, but then through software, make it sexy and, and enjoyable so that people kind of stick to and, and implement those basic, the basic recipe of financial health. Um, and it, it's, it's come a long way, like I say, but we still have, have lots to do and all driven by, you know, feedback and what a client say and, and what a clients leave with and what do they tell us afterwards. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the unsexy part specifically, you're talking about those kind of dry, very data-driven decisions based on like real information, not gut feels and, and fancy sales pitches. Yeah. I mean, most people want to talk about markets and market returns. Um, and, and we love that stuff, but that has to be approached appropriately. Uh, and most people don't really understand how to increase expected return in their investment portfolios and try and do it in a way that just, you know, the odds are so stacked against them. And that is a very high, you know, such a competitive world, the, the investment arena. Um, there's so much money on the line. There's so many smart people chasing it that you really got to know what you're getting into when you, when you walk into that arena. But, you know, your personal life, there's a lot of free, easy wins on the table. And we should first kind of make sure we're, we're putting all those into place before we go to this highly competitive non-control variables. Okay. I've, I appreciate that. So again, I, I don't want to get, I'm not, I don't want to ask you to share any secret sauce, but so I'm an individual, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm really curious. I'm, I'm maybe not the 5% who wants to do it myself, but I still am proactive and I want to be in, informed. I'm kind of describing myself right here. That's what's happening. So what, like, what are some of those easy wins? Like some of the, what are the things that people should be looking at that just aren't being brought to their attention? And I think people want to go to things that are out of their control. Like if I buy Bitcoin now, will it allow me to retire in a year from now? Well, maybe, but you have no control over that outcome. But what about savings rate? That's in your control. How much are you saving every month? And what does that savings rate look like forecast over long periods of time? 
You know, is that in line with your kind of values? You know, what does your asset allocation look like? Are you all in Canada? Canada makes up 3% of the world. Maybe you should be more diversified. Um, asset allocation between stocks and bonds. When are you going to call this capital back? If it's in an RESP for, um, you know, your, your child's college education, well, that has a different timeline than your retirement fund or that your wedding fund or your real estate fund or your, you know, if things go blow up my face fund, like all these different calls of capital should be aligned <laughs> to the investment decisions that they make. So again, it's very personal, but there's all these you know, little, little wins on the table that added together make meaningful change in your financial life. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate the dynamic of the things you can control, all the decisions that you can make that aren't necessarily sexy or that the guy that you know at the dinner party is always talking about the stock that he made desks on or how much he made on, on Ethereum or Bitcoin to your point. We all have that buddy. Uh, but then coming back to like the, the un, I, I don't want to call it unsexy because doing, making good choices, I think is always sexy, but it's not the stuff that gets the play. They don't make Hollywood movies about people having good savings plans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really the, the process versus the result and people want to you know, result, which just has so many cognitive biases attached to it um, versus focusing on the process. And that, I mean, we love Whoop and Fitbit and these companies. I mean, they've gamified the boring parts of, of health, you know, get so many steps in per day, don't eat too much, sleep well. Like those are things we've known forever, but they weren't sexy. And they do nothing for you over a one day period, but over a 30 year period, it's, a, it's amazing effect they will have. And so they've broken it down and rewarded you for that um, daily achievement of that manageable goal. And that's really what we try, to try and bring to personal finances. Like, let's focus on the process that will get you the result. Forget about the results because there's a bunch of noise in there. The signal is the process. And how can we gamify that process so that you focus and put attention onto it and make these little behaviors and execute on them? I really like the comparison to, I used to work in health and fitness and people are like, all right, what do I need to do? And don't tell me I just need to eat healthy, sleep and drink some water and work out. I'm like, well, um, okay, well, the conversation is kind of over because that's about what I'm going to tell you. How we get you to do that on a regular basis is, is the game, but the magic pill is, is, is not there. I really appreciate that comparison. So for you guys, when you sit down and when you bring in new clients, is there a certain, you know, and I don't want to use age because I don't think that's a fair, uh, a fair slice at it, but is there a certain mindset of individual who's now going, I've done it this other way. I, it, I wasn't, it didn't work for me. I I'm open to this because it, it feels like there definitely is kind of a product market fit scenario going on here for people that are looking for more what you just described, or maybe they don't even know they're looking for it, but they're open to the idea. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, in the US, this this model that we're developing is really taken off where you have an independent advisor who's only paid by you, the client, and isn't paid, you know, all these indirect incentives to, to sell you things, basically. Um, so that's taken off in the the US and a lot of that information is starting to be, you know, trickled down into Canada where people are saying for once, you know, well, well, maybe the bank teller isn't giving me the best product solution. He's just picking the one that gets him the Christmas bonus. And maybe my life savings are a bit more, you know, important than just getting this guy a Christmas bonus. So I should take this, you know, advice a little bit more seriously and make sure there aren't, you know, mixed incentives and that we're all on the same side of the table. So that seems to be a big, um, you know, catalyst for people wanting to be open to an independent firm uh, and a firm like ours, which is saying, look, there's a very low probability that a financial advisor can 
increase your returns over that that the market gives you. There's actually no evidence to support that that's going to be a high probability behavior. It's a low probability behavior. So instead of trying to beat the market all the time, you should just try and capture the markets in the most efficient way possible. Understand how markets work. Understand the price that you pay for being in markets, which is volatility. And then focus on the things we can control, like filling up that tax-free savings account, making the RRSP, making a spells alone if that's appropriate to you, you know, leaving money to your kids if you have kids, managing an inheritance if it's coming to you. And then when you take out the money, take it out in a tax-efficient way. That's the stuff a financial advisor can help with. But it's confusing and it's complicated. And so what we try to do is, you know, make that information very digestible and make it into, you know, graphs that whether you have a CFA or you're a nurse or a teacher or a veterinarian, you can you can make sense of your money, make intelligent decisions and then forget about it and think about your life knowing that, you know, the best behaviors are an autopilot. And it's this, you know, your finances are kind of working like a self-driving car, which is kind of taking it back to the old system, which was this pension fund system where it was all kind of taking mm. care of it for you. That's it. I appreciate how you kind of how you how you how you brought that full circle, and so thinking about the analogy around Fitbit and Whoop and some of those examples where they've also done like user experience is fantastic, gamification is great. So where where are you guys kind of you know obviously clients? Uh, I, I love looking at other industries, see what they did well, see the human psychology of it, and then bring it across to something else. Where are you guys in that journey? Because I'm I'm assuming that this is an ever evolving process around your technology and the solution and the way you interact. So compared to a Fitbit or a Whoop, where are you guys in terms of for, against your against your vision for where I you know I'm assuming you've got the big like where it could be or where we could get to yeah I mean the the ultimate vision is kind of my vision for Netflix which is I just go down to my TV and turn it on and it just plays and it knows exactly what I want to watch I don't have to do anything else and that's the way that we want camera to be with money you know your paycheck just comes into this brain and the brain tells you how much to spend on this how much to spend to this rsp versus tfsa mortgage versus investing like all those questions now that's just math and then it just gives you the the amount that you're able to spend lined up with all your goals so that's the 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 long-term vision today we've got something that's totally unique within the market so traditionally if you want a financial plan Number one, you have to sign up with an advisor. So you've got your life savings. You want to make a decision uh, to go to an advisor. You talk to four different advisors. You interview them. Well, it's all going to sound great because they're all professional salespeople. But you don't get to see or touch or feel anything. It's like we're renovating a house and we're putting in hardwood floors. And, you know, you get this little tiny piece of hardwood and you're supposed to make this huge decision off. It. It's just totally backwards. It's a terrible experience. Anyway, that's, that's what we do with people's life savings. They've got to make this choice. Then they've got to sign on the dotted line. And then a year, three years, five years later, they realize whether that was a good decision or not, which is terrible. So we've corrected for that by allowing people to test drive our experience, our financial plans uh, ahead of time before they make any kind of commitment. And now the financial plan, how it's delivered is completely different. So traditionally in the industry, you're given a PDF document, you know, supply these 50 things. And once you supply those things, we'll produce a 400 page report that even if you have a PhD in finance, you will not be able to understand. Well, that's a terrible experience. And if you try and customize it in any way. I've been through all, I've had all these experiences. I'm laughing because I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> it, it, the state of the industry. And if you try and customize anything, you say, wow, you know, like, could we run some different return scenarios or, you know, I want to put in this factor. And they're kind of like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Like this is a, this calculator is in a box. 
stay within the box. Well, that's that doesn't work. People don't fit in boxes. People's personal financial lives don't fit in boxes. So we've developed this um, tool that's completely uh, adaptable to the situation. And so people go to our website, they fill out a few questions. We do a call with them just to kind of get the assumption accuracy um, to a level that they're comfortable with. And then we just build a dashboard, which is a visualization of their entire um, financial life. And we query all the questions that they're into. You know, a 30-year-old has much different questions than the 65-year-old who's about to retire. So the tool has to adapt. So we adapt uh, our, our scenarios, our what we dig into, the research that we do. And then we do this kind of podcast for one, I would say, where we do an overview of the person's dashboard and then send it to them in an encrypted video email. And then they can consume that financial plan, you know, at on their couch, at their home, with their spouse, over a glass of wine. They can think about it for a few days and then, you know, watch it again and really engage with that planning process and also gives them kind of a sense of, well, what are, you know, how does Camber operate and what does the tool look like? Well, you don't have to guess. It's it's right there. We've laid out the roadmap. And if you want to go the step further and actually come in and meet with us, great. We'd, we'd love to continue the conversation. But if you want to just end it there, um, you're able to do that without a kind of commitment or hassle. So, that's just never, never been done in Canadian finance, and we think it's just not how it works. No, I've, 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 I've been down this road before and never experienced anything. I've, I've experienced all the frustrations of like you really have to wait multiple years to find to find out, and if you try to push back or ask any kind of unique question that's outside of the box of the questions, they just don't have an answer. Uh, you know, and I, I've had some great advisors over the years, but sometimes I've been frustrated. I'm like, this is not a tough question, but you just can't seem to just somehow it's not in your formula to answer me. And I've got frustrated before based on based on just simple things like that. Yeah, absolutely. We see it. Very, very, yeah. very interesting. So curious, are you uh, like, what, what is your finance? What is your model from a compensation perspective? Is it based on portfolio size? Is it just percentage or is it straight up fee for service based on needs? How, how, how does that, or again, I don't know how deep you want to get into it. I'll, I'll ask you every question and you, you can answer it oh, as no, you like. I'm trying to be very transparent. I actually, I wanted to explain fees because this is another thing, you know, when I'm looking to buy things on the internet, the first thing I want to know is like, how much does it cost? And that's for like a, you know, a barbecue. Now, <laughs> you want to do that in financial services, find an advisor, no one lists their fees. So like, why do I want to go to a meeting where I, like, I have no idea what this is going to cost or how it works? So I'm like, we got to change that. We got to just list our fees transparently. And it's a, it's a percentage based on the assets that they hold with us. Okay. And it tears down as, as the assets get bigger. We are all regulated industries. So how you charge is kind of uh, constrained in some okay. ways by, by okay, yeah, the regulators. Okay. But that's how we do it. But all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, I got to explain this. Well, I'll just, I'll just put it on the website. Well, there's a lot of nuance. Like we don't charge on cash positions if you're just sitting on cash. And, you know, there's other positions that if you put in your portfolio, we'll manage for you, but we don't charge on that. And like, how does that compare to... Um, you know, other firms like a robo advisor or RBC Dominion Securities. And, you know, there's there's fees that you pay the advisor, but then the products that you put people in also charge fees. So how do people reconcile that? So I said, okay, I got to create a video to just explain fees in wealth management, which I thought was simple, but, you know, it took me 12 slides or 15 minutes just to explain our simple fee structure. So, I, I mean, that there's a lot of information contained in that. Just, you know, if you're a Canadian, um, investing your money with someone, you should really dig into the fees and maybe watch that video and and try and make sure you understand the full 
scope of how fees work because it's complicated. And I think that's a really key area that for a lot of people that aren't necessarily comfortable with money overall, or, or don't just feel like they, you know, I, I hang out with a lot of business people. So they're a little bit more savvy that way. But I know a lot of the friends that are employees that do well, but they just don't ask those hard questions because either they don't want to look like they don't know, or it's just it, it well, I don't really understand it. I, I do this, I get this. And then, then, and then they, all they ever talk about is returns. Cause that's really the only piece of information they have. That's kind of on that PDF that you talked, that you talked about the infamous PDF. Exactly. Exactly. So curious, how does this compare then, you know, you, you know, robo investing, like we'll talk about well, simple, like in Robin hood in the States and just multiple different platforms. So f f what they are doing versus what you're doing here, just to give people an understanding, like, well, again, my hope is that someone can listen to this and also just become a little bit more, not only what you guys do and your story, but okay, I see this is in this bucket, but this is in that, like there, that's the difference, which I think a lot of people struggle because those, those guys just tell you they're going to charge you less fees. That's, that's pretty much their sales pitch, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're a big proponent of the way that they invest that capital for people. Uh, we can get into a bit of the finance side. But where we're trying to make a difference is on the personal side. So what we often say is, well, what happens when your wealth isn't simple? Uh, and, you know, you've got multiple things going on. You've got a corp. Should you dividend it out? How, what does that look like? Oh, I've got all these different asset allocations I should think about. You know, I've got these businesses on the side. So should that change my Canada versus US versus international asset allocation and how should I be thinking about currency and how do I automa automate the rebalancing? Uh, when it gets complicated, it's, it's maybe worth paying that premium to an advisor. Okay. That's fair enough. And so is that where you guys would fall into that in terms of, you know, who would, who's listening and would say, Oh, Camber's the kind of place for me. Is that for an individual that has a little bit more complexity in their, in their, in their mix? Like you said, I've, I've got shares over here. I get dividends from that. Like where it's not just a straight up, you know, T4, I've got a T4 and a mortgage and a car payment. And then I have my monthly expenses, you know, not to minimize it, but there's straightforward versions and it does get more complex. The more involved you get in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we would be for people that, that do have a bit more complexity going on in their lives or people that just don't want to deal with it and are willing to pay a premium just to have a dedicated team. So when you, as a client of Camber, call, we know who you are. We, we know, oh, Tyler, like you haven't made your TFSA contribution this year. Let's get on that. We know your situation. If you want to know, oh, I think I need some money out of my RSP. How do I do that? Well, we can explain that to you right away. Uh, when you're like, accountant wants to know where your tax slip is, we're able to dig that up for you because we're your dedicated service team. You're always talking to the same person. You're not going to be in a, you know, a call queue for two hours and then get a different person with varying degrees of skill. We have a, we've uh, solved for that to give that dedication and that dedication gives peace of mind to people, but it also does co come at a premium to what the robo advisors would charge. Uh, we, fair, fair, fair enough. Mm -hmm. We would also argue that on the finance side, we're doing things within the portfolios that are um, academically sound, but should also create you know higher expected returns over time. And then, in comparison to a robo investor platform, where you're traditionally spending, you know, kind of sub half a percent you know, three quarters of a percent, even less on, on, on the fee side, we're in a traditional advisor environment. You're kind of in that one to 2%, depending on the fee. Is that, is that because you said it is regulated. So is there just kind of universally what you can expect on the high end to the low end? And I know you said there's a lot of hidden fees, but for someone to think about it, you're going to get robo investing with maybe a little bit less sophistication in your portfolio. And you're certainly not going to get a level of advisement right up to the fully custom. I'm going to take an X percent. What's kind of that range or what would an, could an, a Canadian investor expect to pay on the top and bottom of that scale? 
Yeah. So a, a great question. And it's very important to kind of decouple these two parts of fees. So there's the fee that you pay your advisor. So um, those are traditionally around 1% in Canada. Uh, ours are, but they're as high as, you know, one and a half. Uh, ours are 0.95 and they scale down um, quite rapidly over time. Or as, as okay, so point, point nine, point nine five is your quote unquote high watermark. Exactly. Now, okay, the right. fee yep. that isn't included in that is the the investment vehicles that you're putting people in. So, uh, robo advisory, their advisory fee is you know fifty to forty basis points again, depending on kind of the assets. But then there's another fee of getting exposure to the market, right? You can't buy the market for free. There's a there's a cost there, uh, and so it's really there in Canada where the fees get quite high and that fee isn't disclosed to you in your CRM2 reporting that you get every year. So you don't see what the funds uh, are charging. On that's always drove price. me. That's always drove me bananas. I'm like, why can't we be transparent about this? You're choosing not to be transparent, which sounds a lot like lying, but anyway, never mind. I don't want to, <laughs> that's always rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> so I think our advisory fee is kind of below market slightly, mm-hmm. but we, provide much greater value than I would say the the average financial advisor. And then where a real fee difference comes in is in our all, when you, when you summate the all-in fee is quite low can, compared to the Canadian average. And what you guys have done on top of that is also use technology to provide a, a much more, sounds like you want even on your site, it's very user-friendly, it's got a good UX. So I'm going through it, I'm feeling like it, it, it like you said, I, I could pay a little bit more and get a PDF or I could work with a company like yours, but also have a more well-rounded experience that arguably is more similar to other things in my life, including my Fitbit, <laughs> just to oversimplify. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think, you know, a lot of finances, as we, we've talked about, psychological. So these dashboards are supposed to be there to be like, well, oh, I'm worried that 2008 market correction is looming. Okay. Don't be afraid of it. Let, let's run the data on your specific situation. And see if it's actually what would happen. What would happen? Let's kind of to our Tim Ferriss conversation earlier, like let's test out all these fears and see what of these fears are really things we should be worried about and how can we protect against them? So why are we always living in this world of what ifs and guessings and assumptions? No, no, no. Let's let's put data around it. Let's confront it and let's see what we can control and focus on that. And the things we can't control that aren't really real risks. Well, we can stop lying in bed worrying about them every night <laughs> yeah that's, I, I do like like well let's worst case scenario let's actually map let's map that out in a in a data-driven way we now live in a world where we have technology that can help us do that a lot easier and a lot more accurately are you seeing a movement with you know you talked about advisors being older and in their in different parts of their careers where they're like this is the model i've worked it you know i'm going to ride it out to the end whatever that looks like are you seeing a demand from like you felt that there was a need, but I'm also assuming that from a customer base, are you seeing younger or, you know, in- investors just getting frustrated that are really like, that's the, the beautiful thing. Like as an entrepreneur, you see the opportunity, but it does require a group of customers that also are, are there pushing for that or demanding change. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this is a huge problem in Canada again, is the, the regulatory system and the costs involved with running, running one of these firms and taking after an individual makes it very hard to serve the below 500,000 in assets market. Yeah. And those are people that need the most help and people that um, a 
lot of times are young where you can impact the most change because we know it's because it's you've like, got the longer you've got the longest timeline, right? You've got the time. So yeah. you know, if you have three hundred thousand dollars, which is a huge amount of money, you are very limited in Canada of your options. You can go to the bank and deal with the bank teller. They're going to jam you in one of three products with, you know, two to 3% management fees. So the laws of arithmetic say you're never going to get ahead. You could go to, you know, some of these LifeCo or investment uh, investors group, these sorts of firms. Again, they're going to give you advice that is very much geared towards selling high fee product. So you're not going to, you know, have a lot of success there. If you're quite astute, you can do this through a robo-advisor, but most people aren't that interested to dig in and figure it out and understand it. And a robo-advisor will help you invest the money, but it won't help you make decisions with the money. You know, it's not going to tell you, you don't need that insurance, you know, product that you bought. And, you know, your company stock compensation plan gives you a bunch more money and you're not taking advantage of it. And your TFSA could be filled up, but you haven't, you know, contributed it to it in a lot of while and you're, you're building up all these capital gains in a taxable account and you're leaving room in non-taxable accounts. Like, let's make a switch there. It, it doesn't do that stuff. So if you need help there, I mean, there's just nowhere to turn to. Uh, and so we're releasing in 2021 a product where you'll actually get a financial plan, a financial dashboard from Camber, a full service. Um, and then, you know, you're able to also invest with us, but um, we can serve that, that under $500,000 market. I appreciate you got to the dollar the dollar amount because I've you know met lots of different advisors over the years and it's kind of like a million dollars is the floor, <laughs> you know. For a lot of people are like, well, I'm never in a million years, or you know, I'll be talking to a friend and they'll say, oh, you know, I'm looking to talk to somebody, and then they'll talk to them and say, well, geez, I you know I, might, I had 150 or I had 200 grand, I thought I was doing okay, and they wouldn't even talk to me if I didn't, you know, if I had three quarters of a million, they might talk to me. But you're right, arguably those are the people that also are need more help and need more support and are not, and are not getting it from, from the, I'll be blunt from the bank. That's for sure. You're getting sold products. Uh, so I, I do appreciate from that perspective for you guys. So what is, is there a bottom level for you guys or is it, you know, is it, is it anyone who wants to get in and start to make a difference in, in their life? It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, this new, um, this new service that we're offering will be open from, you know, accounts, you know, anywhere. You know, a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks. Um, people can get started and start getting true financial advice. I really, I really appreciate that accessibility and personalization, like things that are just. If you look at just the trends of what's happening in the world we live in, those are two things that we all expect to have access to, whatever, and at, the, at our fingertips. But that you know, ability to personalize, you know, from when's my Uber going to show up to where exactly are my finances at? Like we're just demanding that as a culture. I just, I can't see it going anywhere but this direction. It, I don't think it has a choice. We're, that that genie's out of the box. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy, and not that we're perfect. We've got a long way to go but you just look at these personal finance websites and the ux and the experience and it's just like come on this is a big industry and where is the where is the inspirational brand <laughs> yes well you're speaking you're, you're singing my my language right now for sure absolutely and that and that does make a difference is are we relatively are we insulated in Canada because this is like jurisdiction based? Like it's harder for a big US company to come in and play in the Canadian space that way? Is that why like you talk about things that are happening in the US or, or Canada? Are we a little 
Are we, well, sorry, it sounds like we're behind, but is that also because our big players haven't been motivated to change and we haven't had the open market to allow international like big players to come in and really knock, knock over the apple cart? Is that, is there, is there part of that going on? Yeah. Again, I mean, to provide good financial advice is complicated in the back end, right? You know, you've got the Canadian tax code that needs to be in there. You've got that changes all the time. So updates are required. You've got currency requirements. And when I go to conferences, for you know tech comp or used to before covid um, tech conferences for financial services industry i mean there's amazing stuff coming out of the u.s and you go to these booths and you're like yeah, i'm from canada when you come and they're like oh we love canada oh, but like market's too small we're never coming yeah okay so so it's not just it's not just well it's 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 too small and too much regulations to make it worthwhile so it is the regulations but it's also the size like there's not enough critical mass yeah it's a regulated industry which is very tough and it's also you know a lot of work so to change those models for these fintech companies i mean they're scratching the the tip of the iceberg um in the u.s so why if they're less than one percent of you know the market there would they enter into a new you know, sub market, which requires a ton of regulation, a ton of compliance. Yeah. Which like, let's be two sides of that coin as a consumer, I'm kind of missing out, but as an entrepreneur, that sounds like a great opportunity because the need, the, the, the need for change fundamentally is no different. The market size is different. And also I'm also assuming Camber, you guys are Canadian. There's there, it doesn't provincially is not a huge factor for you guys. You guys are available right across Canada. Correct. So there, there isn't, there isn't necessarily imaginary walls from a financial perspective between provinces. I know small, small degrees around tax rates and things like that, but that's at a taxation level. Otherwise investing, it is a bit of a, it's at least you're dealing with the whole Canada, right? As I stretch my hands to show side to side. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so, so, so interesting. It's such an interesting world and something I've just over the years personally always been interested in and, you know, grew up in an entrepreneurial environment. So there was kind of that mindset, if you don't take care of yourself and you know, no one else will kind of kind of a thing, but I've always been frustrated with just the lack of transparency. So hearing you, the frustration of like, come on guys, like, oh yeah. And then you do get a report and it's 17 pages long and it doesn't mean anything. And six, 16 rows of percentages and subtractions and minuses and brackets. And you're like, I'm relatively intelligent. I think most of the time, and I don't have a clue what's going on here. <laughs> Yeah. And not, I mean, we're still dealing with it. I often say, you know, if, if, if people, when they were getting their, their dashboard review had a, a red button for when they don't understand and a green button for when they do understand, and they were tapping it throughout the meeting, I I don't know what the, the percentages would be, but we are making a conscious effort to make it more approachable and to make it a better experience and you know some of that's pretty simple stuff like tell people about the fees before they have to take a meeting with you and let them test drive some of your ideas and some of your products before they have to ship their entire life savings over uh, but then every good salesperson says, well no but i gotta sell them on me first right Rob? <laughs> Which I do, I, I don't underestimate that you're getting sold. I think that that's a buyer beware, like kind of kind of asterisk to throw to throw on that as a as a consumer. Absolutely. Uh, so, so where the, the road ahead, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the future of Netflix and I've read articles about, you know, the future of Amazon when they preemptively send you things because it costs them less for you to return it because their algorithms will be so good. They're going to know what you want before you want it kind of mindset. If you read, I don't know if you've read prediction machines, but they've got some really good sections, sections on that that really makes you smile and then go, Hmm, how far away is that really? So when it comes to, for you guys and where the vision is, and obviously you're on a journey and it sounds like you're, you're in lockstep with your customers, you're building, you're developing, you're learning what they want. Is, is it just time and energy or like, I guess, where's the technology at to, 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 
to to pull off your Netflix your net your Netflix kind of dream protocol of the system that knows you before it before you know yourself kind of mindset. Are we five ten years away from that, or maybe not even? I I do think it's going to take some time. I mean, the the data isn't there from a personal standpoint. So what we try and do at Camber is again the historical financial plan is give us these 400 data points on your life, you know, your life insurance, which is in one place, your house, which is in another place, your mortgage, which is in another place, your three investment accounts. Like it's just, it's a painful experience to collect all this information. So we said, well, instead of having to collect it all up front, what if we made an assumption engine um, using personal finance data in, in Canada? And StatsCan has great databases about personal finance. So we took these databases and built a little algorithm with the University of Calgary to, um, data science department and two students there to um, to solve solve for this. But what we found when we dig into it is like this isn't good data. I mean, it's just not there. So the scientists, the real movers of change, don't have the ability to really dig into this problem. And I've talked to a lot of academic institutions about this, but how can we get accurate personal financial databases to you so you actually can start, you know, finding just how bad the problem is and what solutions there could be to solve this problem. But the data isn't there. So that's one thing we're trying to figure out. But again, that comes with a lot of uh, privacy constraints and, you know, wanting people to share this information so that we can help try and solve the problem. So that's no, when you get in, yeah, when you go down the rabbit hole at all with the, you know, the AI machine learning, you know, any of that sphere, you learn very quickly that that's not the algorithm, it's the data that's the make or break and all the considerations around privacy and quality and what you're actually getting. And when you move into the world of finance and the, the amount of regulation privacy, obviously clearly needed is a hindrance to having the right data. You're right. You're not just, you, you can't, oh, we've got a great algorithm. No, it's, you're only as good as your data set, right? Exactly. So making good data sets is, you know, a big core um, strategic priority for Camber and then finding university partnerships um, to be able to share that data and, and work on this problem together. Cause this is a problem that affects all, all Canadians. No, it's you're 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 solving like the the problem is worth solving, as they say. You know what I mean? It's it's big enough that it's absolutely worth it, and the impact could. You know, if we could just empower people to be more, whether it's health, I love to use health as a comparison. Like, you know, how much money could we save in our healthcare system if we just helped people to make better choices through better information and also gaming in a way that makes it easier to do? Because maybe saving that extra $5 a month or not eating that extra whatever, they do fall into very much psychologically similar similar categories, I would say. Absolutely. <laughs> not, not, to, not to minimize it. Well, Rob, I really appreciate the transparency and just talking about what you're doing and understanding kind of your, your why behind it. And I think it's something that a lot of people listening can relate because no matter where you are in the cycle of understanding more about your money, there's always a next level of like, ah, I don't understand that. Or I, I understand enough to know I'm kind of not getting what I need here. Uh, or people that are looking at it going like, I have no idea where to start. And I think that you can get really overwhelmed pretty quick with a couple Google searches and you just close the computer and go back to watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that's a real failure of the industry. And well, simple, again, we're big fans of what they're doing. Um, and we just need to keep that keep that momentum going and have more people kind of trying to solve this problem. Uh, I, I, I appreciate that. And being able to collect enough data that you actually can have a quantifiable, like, uh, and, and unfortunately that does, that takes, it takes time. Exactly. 
Well, Rob, kudos to you on the on, on the journey. Thanks for coming on and sharing on the show. This is a perfect fit for you know. I love to I love to tell a good story, but also hopefully teach people a few things along the way. I guess that's that is what a good story does come down to. What is the best way if someone's listening and they're like, you know what, I really want to learn more. Uh, maybe maybe I'm sophisticated. Maybe maybe I'm not, and I'm a little bit nervous. But I, I want to reach out. What's the best way to get a hold of yourself, your team? How should they connect? Yeah, no, uh, camberco.ca is our website, and all our contact information is there. You can test out our tools. You can launch a dashboard, build it for yourself, but yeah, don't don't be intimidated by money. It's it's such an important aspect of everyone's lives that no one wants to talk about and has all these, you know, secret it lives in secrecy and shadows. We need to bring it out into the open uh, and start focusing on the behaviors that can impact positive change. And we're here to help chat about that stuff anytime we live and breathe this stuff and and love it. I, re- I really appreciate the old, yeah, you, you can't fix the secret and money. We, we, we've got such a weird set of beliefs around it of the, you know, but it's the opposite unless you talk about it and you, and you can learn and chat with people like yourselves. And I love that you can go on and build a platform and kind of fool, like fool around with it, get, get to know it, get comfortable with your money. That's a, that's a great way to, to minimize the, you know, your best, best way is to lean in, but that's, it's easy to say flippantly to give people a chance and the tools to do that. But Rob, thanks for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure meeting you. And I, uh, I look forward to connecting again. Good luck on your uh, progress on the platform. Tyler, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. My pleasure.